than uh, uh, Joseph, right? Um, I didn't know this morning, but our good old Joe Reyes over there, right? He's named after this guy, Joseph. So hopefully this sermon series will give Joe a deeper understanding of his namesake, right? So every week, I think I get obsessed. I, I, I think I get obsessed with YouTubers, right? I'm a fanboy, if you will, right? And there are a couple of YouTubers that, are, that I was obsessed this week. One YouTuber was this guy named Alex Hermosi. Have you heard of Alex Hermosi? No? All right, so he, Alex Hermosi is a 30-year-old entrepreneur, right? And he always starts out his clips. Is it clip? What do you call it? What do you call it? Clips? What do the young people call it? What? Video? Like he always says, look, he's, he says, I'm Alex Hermosi. I make $85 million a year. My business make $85 million a year. I have nothing to sell you. So this is my video. So he always disclaims how much has been, I guess he makes $85 million, evidently, through his three businesses. What made me so interesting, what, makes Alex, what made Alex so interesting to me, number one, is because, is number one, he, in his younger days, he claimed to be Christian, right? But now he's not. And in his younger days, he tried to find the right arguments for, for the existence of God, right? He tried to study all the valid arguments for the existence of God. But the more he read about arguments for the existence of God, the more arguments he found about the existence that God doesn't exist. So he just inundated himself with all these arguments for and against the existence of God that exhausted him. So he just quit being a Christian, right? So he gave up his faith. And what makes him very interesting to me is that guy just works. He says, ultimately, there's no meaning to life because God doesn't exist. Therefore, I'm going to find my meaning in work. He, found, he finds his meaning in the, in the investment opportunities of his company. He doesn't care about the trappings of luxury. He doesn't. Right? He says he prefers, he found Hondas, Honda Accords and, and Civics are better cars than Bentleys. Because his argument is, because he owns a $350,000 Bentley, and he says, look, those Bentleys are only made for a handful of people. Hondas are made for thousands of people, and they do market tests. And therefore, these Hondas are very comfortable to try because of all this market research. Bentleys only made for a few hundred people. It's really annoying to drive, he says. He prefers chilies and Cheesecake Factory over, you know, $250, you know, like, like expensive restaurants. So trappings of luxury is not what he works for. He says that work itself is the meaning. And he says there is no such thing as work-life balance. That's a lie, he says. And I go, amen, brother. Right? He says, if you work 14 hours a day and if you find meaning to it, go be it. Go work 14 hours a day. It doesn't matter. Don't give in to the lie of work-life balance. I go, yes. He even got married. You know why he got married? Because he chose the woman who will make the best business partner. He says, I didn't feel romantic towards her. I didn't feel love towards her. Intellectually, I knew she would make a really good business partner, and together we can make our business grow. That's where they got married. They didn't have a ceremony. They had a business conversation. 
and they go, okay, I think it's a good idea that we get married. After they came to a conclusion they'll make a good business partner, they went to court, got married, and became husband and wife that day. This guy lives to work. And I go, my gosh, man. You're my hero. But Alex knows. At the end of the day, what he does is meaningless. That's what he says. He's really, it's ironic that he really works hard, and yet he knows at the end of the day what he does is meaningless. Because he says after he dies, nothing, like after he dies, everything that he worked for will be gone, will be, will be nothing. He finds, he strives, he works really hard for a business that he finds ultimately is meaningless. Isn't that sad? Another guy that I was obsessed with, Nick Tortellini. He's a bivocational pastor in L.A. I love bivocational pastors. I love those guys, right? This guy is a pastor in L.A. He's a set designer, right? He's a set designer. He makes set, set designs for TV shows and Vogue magazines and whatnot, right? Nick Tortellini loves his set design job. He really does. Because he says... That design job is the way that I honor God by creating something that is very beautiful. So to, for Nick Tortellini, he really also loves his job, just like Alex loves his job. For the, for the reason he loves his job is because he gets to reflect Jesus Christ through his beauty, right? through the beauty that he creates. Not only that, through his job, he gets to disciple people. He gets to share the gospel with the Hollywood types, right? He gets to earn money to support his church. So the job is not just, he loves his job, but it's more than a job, right? It is an avenue in which he glorifies Christ by creating something beautiful. He evangelizes to people. He disciples people through his work. There's something that is incredibly full about Nick Tortellini's life. Alex works really hard knowing that ultimately what he does is meaningless. Nick Torellini works really hard because he knows everything that he does, his job, is meaningful because of Jesus Christ. Same love for their jobs, but completely different in what they live for. I was obsessed with these two guys. Because they both work really hard, and I love hard workers. But the meaning through their lives is different. Then what is the chief difference between Nick Tortellini and this guy named Alex? If you listen to Nick Tortellini's testimony, Nick Tortellini just loves, he just loves Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus Christ because Nick Tortellini says, because he never got over the fact that Christ forgave him, and that Christ loves him. The center of the core of Nick Tortellini's life is the fact that Jesus Christ forgave him, and Jesus Christ loved him. Because that's such a huge factor in his life. Everything in his life falls under that it's based on that core understanding of the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. 
Do you know that you have been forgiven? That you have been loved by Christ? Do you know that you're loved by Christ? The only way that you would truly know that you're loved by Christ is if you know that you've been forgiven by him. When I say Jesus Christ loves you, even the unbelievers will say, yeah, that's great, I love me too. We have this vague notion of the love of God. But the Bible is very specific in this definition of love, in, in, in very specific in God's definition of love. God's definition of love is this is love, 1 John says, while we were sinners, Christ died. Is the basis of your understanding of the love of God the fact that he has forgiven you? Or do you think that you're entitled to his love? I meet many Christians. With their lips, they say Christ forgave them. But in their minds, they think they're entitled to God's love. They think God should love them. Why? Because they're them. I don't know why, but they think God should love them. Maybe they think God is love, and therefore it is the most natural thing for God to love them. Maybe that's maybe that theology. I don't know why. But they think they're entitled to God's love. And when bad things happen to them, they question whether God loves them or not. Has bad things happened to you? And do you question whether God loves you when bad things happen to you? You question the love of God when bad things happen to you. But let's be real and honest here. You question his love because you think you're entitled to his love. You think God should give you the best. God should solve your problems. God should give you a wife. God should give you a job. God should do all these things because you're entitled to his love. True Christians know we're not entitled to anything. True Christians know, Nick Tortellini knows, it is an absolute miracle that Christ forgave them on the cross and he loves them. Is it the most natural thing in the world for God to love you? Or is it a miraculous thing that he loves you? If you think it's the most natural thing in the world for him to love you, you don't, I don't think you truly know the love of God. Look, Pastor Ujin gave a scary sermon last week, Revelation 20, right? And I'm glad he preached it rather than me because I would have gone like, you know, all like Samuel L. Jackson on you. You know what I mean? Right? It's good that Pastor Ujin's like gentle spirit because I would have just, right? We talked about the end times, about the book of life, about judgment. What you need to understand about reality, biblical definition of reality is, after we die, right? After we die, we will 
not forget what we have done in this world. But the biblical view of reality is after we die, we will see a more clear picture of reality. Alex Hermosi thinks after we die, what he has, how he has lived here, what he has done here, it will all be forgotten. People who commit suicide believe if they just kill themselves, then they will be relieved from the misery of this world. They have an understanding that after they die, everything that has happened in this world will be forgotten. That's what they think. But the Christian worldview is death is not a ways in which you forget what has happened here. In fact, when you die, you will see things more clearly. Do you understand? It is not your, what you have done here isn't forget. You don't forget what you have done here. You see much clearly how you have lived here. You see yourself and what you have done in a clear light after you die. Look, I was listening to a bunch of philosophers yesterday. And at the conclusion of it is, the philosopher says, our perception of reality at best is very shallow. What we see and perceive is a very, a very superficial view of reality. There are so many things in reality that we cannot see clearly right now. There's so many things going on, even in this empty space that occupy between me and you, there's so many things happening. We just can't see it. There's so many things about us that is complicated and, and, and more in-depth than what we realize. After we die, we will begin to see what God sees. We will see things, we will see ourselves in a more clear light. The difference between us and God is God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He knows, he sees all, and he knows all. We're not omniscient. We don't know anything. We just know a very shallow sliver of reality. But when we die, our eyes will open and we will see ourselves more clearly. When we see ourselves more clearly before God, there's two responses. When a person sees themselves more clearly after they die, they can, everyone will see that they really deserve the judgment of God. When we see ourselves in a more clear light of our intent, of our actions, of our thoughts, of our words, all of every human being will know that they deserve God's judgment. That's true. But when you see things clearly, when you know that you deserve God's judgment, there's only two responses. Response number one, when you realize you deserve God's judgment, people who don't know Christ would say, yes, it is right for me to be judged. When we see ourselves, when an unbeliever sees themselves as clearly, who they are as clear as day before God, and when God judges them, they will say, yes, it is the right thing for me to be judged. There's no one in eternity who says they got a raw deal, that God was wrong for judging them. 
when, we see, when they see themselves clearly, they think it is right for God to judge them. For the Christian, when we see ourselves clearly, we will be amazed why God would save such a person like ourselves. I am fully prepared. When I go before the Lord, when I see my life in a clear, clear, as clear as day, when I see myself clearly, I will be amazed how he forgave me and how he called me his, how Jesus Christ died for me. When I see things in a clear light, I will praise my Lord for loving me and saving me. the core of the Christian's understanding of the love of God is that despite who you are, Christ died for you and forgave you. Okay? How is this related to Joseph? I'll get there. Joseph is a Christ figure. Joseph's life mirrors the ministry of Jesus Christ. And through what happened to Joseph in these verses, we will see that God, despite seeing all things, despite seeing the horrible things that people have done, God still chooses to save his people. Joseph's account through these verses will make us understand in a more, in a more clear light of what God has done to love us. Once again, the main theme of the main underlying theme of today's message is when we God is the one who sees things clearly, and when we start to, when we begin to see what God sees in us, we will be amazed that God has forgiven us. You understand? That's the main theme. All right? So let's go. Let's talk about what is happening in these verses. Verse 12 starts out with Jacob who is Israel, his name is Israel, sends Joseph out to, to go to his brothers, right, and, and, and report back to Joseph of what his brothers are, report back to Jacob what his brothers are doing. Jacob's, I'm sorry, jo, ja, Jacob's nine sons are out in the field of Dothan pasturing Jacob's flock, Right? And Jacob, Israel, tells Joseph, his son, I'm going to send you to your brothers to see what they are doing. Joseph's response was not, oh, why? His response wasn't, I don't want to do it. His response was not complaining. His response was what? Verse 3, verse 13. Here I am. Jacob wants to send Joseph to his brothers. And Joseph's response was, here I am. The phrase, here I am, is very significant in the Old Testament. The phrase, here I am, was uttered by Abraham, Moses, um, Joseph, was Jacob, his father, was uttered by David, was uttered by Isaiah. 
when God wanted his people, his, his chosen, to do something for him. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, all said, here I am. The word here I am is a, is, is, is a phrase of, I, I, am, I am willing to obey you. The word, the word here I am means, I will do whatever you ask of me because I trust you and I want to obey you. When God called these great men of God to do something for him, these men says, here I am. It is a phrase of humble, loving submission. Jacob says, Joseph, go to your brother to see where they are. Joseph said, here I am. The phrase, here I am, changed my mind about Joseph. I think for the longest time, Joseph was a spoiled brat, like a spoiled 16-year-old Beverly Hills princess. I thought Joseph was a spoiled 16-year-old Beverly Hills princess. Do you remember that MTV show, My Super 16th Birthday, where you get like a Maz No, it's just me? Anyway, right? I thought Joseph was a spoiled little brat. These words changed my mind. He wasn't a spoiled brat. Okay, not that my kids are spoiled, but when I ask my daughter to do something, she'll say, hold on, 10 more minutes, wait, right? My son just does it, right? Great, I, I love having a son, right? My daughter says, okay, hold on, wait, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, she negotiates, just like her dad. God bless her. Joseph says, whatever my father wishes, I will do. Because I love my father and I love my brothers. What is the significance of this transaction between Jacob and Joseph? Jacob sends his son Joseph to his brothers. How is that related to the gospel? It's related to the gospel because the gospel is God the Father sending his son to this world for us. You see the parallel? The steep, right? I'm very proud of myself. That's the connection. Jacob sends Joseph to his brothers. The gospel is that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to the world. Just like J Jacob sends Joseph out, God the Father sends his son out for his brothers. Why did Christ come into the world? Christ came into the world to save the people of God who are the brothers of Christ. Whoa, that's deep. Okay. We believe that Jesus Christ came to save God's church, God's elect, people that God has chosen from the foundation of the world, people who belong to God, Jesus Christ has come to save such people. Jesus calls, whoever does the will of my Father is my brother. That means Jesus Christ, when he came into the world, he came to save people who will eventually be his brothers. Just like Jacob sends Joseph to fetch his brothers, God the Father sends a son to go and save his brothers. We are Christ's brothers. Do you understand? Kill, can you teach it during small group? 
But there's a difference between Jacob and God. When Jacob sends his brother, sends Joseph to his brothers, Jacob had no idea that his sons will want to kill Joseph. That morning, when Jacob sends Joseph away to his sons, Joseph thought that Jacob thought Joseph was going to come back later that day. It's like when your mom tells you to go to Giant and get something. Does she still do that, by the way? Maybe. Your mom expects you to come back. When Jacob sends Joseph out to, the bro- to his sons, Joseph, Jacob expects Joseph to come back. Jacob has no idea that his sons were going to try to kill Joseph. When God sends his son into this world, he knew exactly what we're going to do to his son. When God the Father sends Jesus Christ as a servant in this world, he knew exactly how we are going to treat his son. He knew people are going to mock him, spit at him, misunderstand him, crucify him. And God the Father knew he's going to pour out his wrath on his own son so that he doesn't have to pour out his wrath on us. Old Testament God. Remember the Old Testament God is a very angry God. Remember? He gets angry. He just wipes out nations. He wipes out the world with a flood. God is very dramatic and wrathful in the Old Testament. He cannot tolerate sin in the Old Testament. That kind of wrath that he showed in the Old Testament fell on Jesus Christ, his son, so that you and I do not have to go through that wrath. So God the Father knew Human beings are going to kill Jesus Christ. Human beings are going to reject Jesus Christ. Human beings are going to be, be totally be like, you know, disgusting towards his son. And God the Father knew the wrath would be poured upon his son. But he sends his son anyway. Isn't that crazy? He fully knew the destiny of his own son. But he chooses to send him anyway so that you and I can be saved. That's the core of the Christian message. What happens to Joseph? He gets to, he gets to Shekin, right? And his brothers aren't there. He asks this guy, have you seen my brothers? And the guy said, they're in Dothan. Go to Dothan. So Joseph seeks out, goes to Dothan to seek out his brothers. Like I said, Jesus Christ came into this world to save the people who are going to be his brothers. Joseph had no idea that his brothers wanted him dead. 
Jesus knew very well that the people that he came to save wanted him dead. Do you know that if you were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, do you know most likely we will be amongst the crowd who wanted Jesus to die rather than Jesus wanting to Jesus to live? Why did the crowds want Jesus to die? Why did they? He came to save his people, but his people wanted him dead. Why did the people want Jesus to die? I mean, there are many reasons, I suppose. The, the Pharisees or the, the religious leaders were envious of him. People, some people were disappointed in Jesus. They thought Jesus was going to usher in the kingdom of God and make a difference in their lives then and there. But he, but he disappointed them. But, more, but most importantly, I think people wanted Jesus dead. Because when Jesus Christ, when his light was present before the people, when his glory and beauty and truth was in the midst of the people, his presence exposed their sins. Read the Bible. Every time Jesus got near to people, he has a way of exposing who they really are. And when he exposes who they really are, they couldn't handle it. When his light revealed their ugliness. It's like when Jesus Christ, if he comes here right now, like in the flesh, the first thing that you will know is everything that you are hiding hiding in the inside, will come out in the forefront. When who you are is revealed just by him being next to you, of course you want him dead. Look, great movie, Amadeus. Have you ever heard the movie Amadeus? It's about Mozart, right? It's about Mozart. And specifically, it's not really about Mozart, but it's this guy named about Salieri, right? This guy, about this guy named Salieri. Salieri was the composer of the king's palace. So his job was to compose classical music for the king. And this guy was pretty good. I mean, you have to be pretty talented to be the composer for the king, right? He thought he was all good. Because, you know, he was a high position. He was the king's composer, for crying out loud. But this young punk, Mozart, come, in, come into the scene. Mozart is unpolished, he's unsophisticated, he laughs like this. <laughs> he is a buffoon. But when Salieri looks at Mozart's composition, it's the most breathtakingly beautiful piece of music he's ever heard. He said, I hear, this is no music. It is the voice of God, he said. The problem, if you're a musician, hearing the voice of God through another musician, what's the problem? Your work is nothing. The more, the greater Mozart became, 
Salarari hated Mozart more because Mozart revealed how lacking Salarari is. And therefore, Salarari enacted a plan to kill Mozart because Mozart's revelation of his inadequacies, he couldn't handle. When Jesus Christ is before you, all your inadequacies, all your lackingness, all your sins will come out. That's why the world hates him. Jesus says, the world will hate you, my disciples, because it hated me. The reason why the world hates Jesus Christ, because it cannot stand his beauty and truth. That's why Mel Gibson, when he made The Passion of the Christ, he used his own hands in the scene where the, the, the hand that was nailing Christ's like, hand on, on, the, on the cross with the nail, the hand that the, the, the held the hammer was his hand. And his point was, if I were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, I would have crucified Christ too. Why? Because I would not be able to handle his glory and beauty and truth, and I would want him dead, just like Salieri wanted Mozart dead. When Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, he knew fully well that you wanted him dead. And yet he died. You know? Nothing about your sins will be hidden forever. It will be revealed one day. As clear as day, it will be revealed. And you will be amazed if you're a Christian that he died for that sin. Do you get a glimpse of that love in your life right now? That's why in my funeral, Hyo will lead, Hyo or Rob, you can do like Kai Bai Bo, right? To lead praise at my funeral, right? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll write a rule, right? It'll be my joy through the ages, the hymn goes, to sing of Christ's love for me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he can love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When you realize, when you get a glimpse that that's how he loves you, despite the fact that you really want him dead, you do, let's be honest. He still died for you. That love is an amazing love. You know? Back to Joseph. Joseph is coming down the hill, coming down the road. His brothers see him with that annoying coat of many colors. Remember? His brothers were pastor field workers. They work in the field. They, they wear labor clothes. You know, there were the tin hats and in, in the tin lunch boxes and work boots and jeans, like $30, like $10 jeans from Old Navy, 
That's what they that's what they wear. Here comes Joseph with his Versace robe. Tra la 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 la. That robe reminds them their father is not accepting of them. That robe reminds them that their father rejected them. So they said, we want that punk to die. How evil is this? Look, there's some times where me and my brothers don't get along. But I never conspired to kill my brothers. But these nine dudes got together, had a meeting, and said, let's kill him. So they conspired. But then, despite their intentions, God's grace, God's providence still controls the situation. They first intend to kill Joseph when he first gets there. Their intent was kill Joseph as soon as he arrived, kill the guy, tore his Versace multicolored robe, dip it in animal blood, and say, Look, father, an animal killed my little brother. Jerks. But God intervened. He intervened in a couple of ways. Number one, he intervened through Reuben. Reuben is the eldest of the brothers. God bless eldest brothers, right, John Stark? God bless eldest sons, right? Eldest sons of the world, God bless you. I love you, right? Reuben says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not do that. Rather than killing the guy, why don't we just not get our hands dirty? Let us throw him in a pit. The pit that used to store water, let's throw him there. By the way, that pit is not like, that pit is pretty deep, yo. Reuben says, let's throw him there, right? That's Reuben's idea. Why did Reuben not want to kill Joseph then and there? Reuben wanted to rescue Joseph later on. Right? That's, why, that's why Reuben said, let's throw him in the pit. Question is, why did Reuben want to rescue Joseph later on? There are many reasons, I suppose. Maybe Reuben was a genuinely good guy. Maybe first brother obligation got the good of him. Maybe he wanted to save his little brother. Or a better explanation is Reuben at this time was in the doghouse with his father Jacob. Jacob did not like Reuben particularly very much in this time. Why? Because Reuben had an affair with Bilal, which was one of his father's concubines. Bilal was one of his father's women. And this punk Reuben had his way with her. And Jacob found out about it. So, you know, that's a weird relationship right there. Because J Reuben knew his father was displeased. So maybe his thought was, okay, if I save Joseph, maybe I'll be out of the doghouse. Maybe my father will accept me. Whatever intent was, God intervened through Reuben so that brothers didn't kill Joseph then and there. Rather, they just threw him in the pit. After, so God intervened, number one, through Reuben by not, killing, not having him killed, but being, having him in the pit. Number two, as after the brothers threw Reuben, Joseph's body in the pit, they sat down and had lunch. 
They conspired, had a meeting to kill their brother. They decided to throw their brother, his little brother, their little brother into a deep pit where there's no water. Maybe the fall will kill him. I don't know. And they sat together, broke a meal, and started eating. Jerks. I mean, if you had a little conscience, should you kind of lose your appetite? No, not them. Well, I'm hungry. Let's eat. Let's throw him in the well. Okay, let's eat. And they ate. At that time, they see a caravan, right? You know what a caravan is, right? Like, like, you know, long line of people. Caravan of, who was it? Um, Ishmaelites. Passing them. Ishmaelites, by the way, are the descendants of Ishmael. Do you know who Ishmael is, remember? Their grandfather, their great-grandfather Abraham, rather than waiting for God's timing to have a son, he had union with his wife Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and they had a son called Ishmael. Sarah, after, it was Sarah's idea for Abraham to have a relationship with Hagar, to have Ishmael, but when Sarah actually gave birth to Ishmael, Sarah's heart changed. Certainly that doesn't happen. Women's heart changed all of a sudden. And Sarah wanted her, Abraham, to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And Abraham said, okay, and he wanted to kick them out. But God was with Hagar and Ishmael. These people who were eventually going to save Joseph's life were the descendants of Ishmael. What a coincidence, eh? Right? Who would have thought that, like, Abraham wanted to, like, you know, abandon Ishmael, but that kid that he abandoned ended up saving his great-grandchild? What a coincidence. These people pass him by. And the brothers said, hey. They were eating, hey. You know? If we're going to get rid of him, why don't we just, like, get rich in the process? You know? Let's just sell him for money. If we just kill him, we're not going to get anything. So let's just sell him for money. So these guys sell their brother for money, 20 shekels of silver. You know? And the Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt, where 22 years later, Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. And by becoming the prime minister of Egypt, he could give grain to the Israelites who were going to suffer a drought that will last for seven years. In order for Joseph to save Israel, he needed to go to Egypt. And the way God sends Joseph to Egypt is by introducing the caravan of Ishmaelites then and there so that he can be sold to slavery in Egypt. What's the main point of this? God's grace, God's plan cannot be stopped. Look, Reuben, the brothers, Ishmaelites, they didn't know anything about the plan of God. All they did was make the best decision they could at a given moment, right? 
They had no idea of the famine to come. They had no idea about the fact that they would need saving in 22 years. They had no idea. They just made the best decision for themselves at the given moment. Right? Reuben made a best decision, tried to make the best decision by trying to save Joseph so that he would be out of God's, you know, his father's doghouse. Brothers wanted to make the best decision to profit out of their brother. Ishmaelites, oh, free slave. Okay, another slave we can make profit out of. They all made individual life choices without any idea about what God is going to do through those decisions. But God used all their individual choices and decisions. And he used all of it to bring about salvation for his people 22 years later. Regardless of what the brothers wanted to do, planned to do, regardless of the evil that they have planned, they could not stop God's saving work to be done. At the end of history, time and space, my dear, children, my, my dear children, my dear friends, at the end of time and space, what will last in the end will be God's ultimate saving purpose of humanity and the world. That will last. That will be completed. At the end of the day, that is the finish. God, God will finish his work. And to finish that work, he will use the individual choices of 7 billion people in the world to accomplish that end. You may make decisions tomorrow about what to wear, where to go, what to eat and whatnot, right? And you may seem that that seems to be unconnected to God's saving work. Au contraire, mon frère. Every decision, every life, every incident that you are living right now, God will use to accomplish his purposes, his ultimate purposes, which includes his ultimate purpose for you. We are obsessed with making our plans work in the world. Our plans mean hogwash. Because our plans will just disappear when we disappear. What will last? What is important is that you, God, using your life and the events of your life, including the pain, especially the pain in your life, to accomplish his saving purposes in your life and to accomplish his saving purpose in the life of, life of all eternity. I view my life as a, I'm a, I'm a small piece of a larger puzzle. Imagine our lives as a seven billion piece puzzle. I'm a one, one in one billion. My life is just a small piece of God's ultimate design. Everything that I go through in this world will be added to God's, to, in order for God to accomplish his purpose. That's what you need to realize your life is. You get obsessed with your life here, thinking, oh, I want to be happy here. I need to make a name for myself here. I need to do something here. That's not how a Christian looks at his life. We are about puzzles in God's larger grand design. He will use you. He will use your life to accomplish his purposes.
And his purpose is, it's glorious, perfect, and right. When you will see how God used your piece of the puzzle, when you begin to see how God used your life to make a difference in this world, you will praise God for it. Look, Joseph, when he's in that pit, right? Did you, did you think Joseph will know that one day he's going to be prime minister of Egypt? No, of course not. Joseph had no idea where he's going to end up. Joseph in the pit, I would imagine, thought he had a dream. Remember that song in, you know, Tangled? I have a dream. I have a dream. Joseph had a dream where his brothers are going to bow down to him. Joseph had a dream where he's going to be some, some, someone really important. But in that pit, Joseph would think, what about my dream? I had a dream. What happened to my dream? I'm, a, I'm in the pit now, man. What, what up? Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph in the pit, did not know what this was for. But Joseph knows right now exactly why he needed to be in the pit. Joseph knows now why he needed to be sold to slavery. Joseph will know now why he needed to go to jail. And Joseph praises God for his goodness. Like you, dear Christian. Why does God allow you to go through pain? I don't know the exact reason, but I know this. The pain that you go through is a piece of the puzzle that he will use to bring about your salvation and the salvation of the world. Rather than be so obsessed about your own dreams, focus on the larger piece of God's purposes. that cannot be stopped. And lastly, the brothers take the robe to his father. What jerks these guys? These guys are so evil. They presented the robe, the torn robe. They, they tore Joseph's robe after they sold him to slavery. They dipped the robe in, in goat blood. And they ask their father, hey, father, is this the robe that you gave to your Gave to Joseph. That's so cruel, isn't it? They want their father to identify the, you know, the, 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 the death of his favorite son. And when, when Jacob was in pain, they came to comfort him. Isn't that crazy? These guys are irredeemably evil. But 22 years later, Joseph says to these guys, what you did was meant for evil, and boy, did they mean it for evil. But God used it for good. He's saying what I just told you. Your evil piece of the puzzle God used it to accomplish his great saving work. Christian, do not be obsessed about what, you, what will happen to you in this world. 
be focused on the fact that he's going to use you to do his great work in this world. And even if your life doesn't plan out the way you want it to, maybe some of y'all will never get married. Maybe some of y'all will never, you know, push the double stroller in Disney World. God bless you if you don't. That's grace of God for you, buddy, by the way. Maybe you'll never be the successful person that you envision yourself to be. But that doesn't matter for the Christian, is it? What matters is that God's going to use you to accomplish his great purpose. Praise be to God for that. Let's pray. Father, we are just blind people. We are very limited in what we see. We are limited in seeing how sinful we are. We are limited in seeing how, how forgiven we are. We are limited in seeing the value of our lives. We're just very limited in everything that we see. We make decisions based upon our limited perception of everything. Even though our perception is limited in everything, we still think that our perception is true, which is laughable. But we worship the God who sees everything. Even though we cannot fully see our sins, you see it fully. And despite the full revelation of our sins, you choose to die for us anyway. What marvelous love is that? even though we cannot see the value of our lives here right now. Father, you see the value of our lives, and you're going to use our life, Lord, to accomplish your masterpiece of cre in creation. Help us not to base our identity on our limited, shallow perception, but help us to base our identity in the fact that we worship a God who sees all, and despite the fact that you see all, you still choose to forgive and love us anyway, and despite our limited understanding of our lives, help us to be comforted in the fact that you're going to use our life to accomplish your great purpose. May you, your love, and your purpose be what we are obsessed about, rather than the tedious small things of this, of, of, of this world. Make us have a bigger idea about who you are in your work so that we can praise you. Even if things do not go our way, we can still praise you, Lord. All these things in Christ's name we pray.